Welcome to TCN Talks. I'm your host, Chris Como, and the goal of our podcast is 15 to 20 minutes of relevant need to know to help you in your role as a hospice, palliative care, and serious illness leader, and also team member at all levels of the organization. So our goal is concise, relevant, need to know, just to help you in your role. And also the bookend of our podcast is always something to make you think deeper about life and also think deeper about our topic that we talk about today. So I'm excited today. Our guest is Matt Chalberg. Matt is the founder and CEO of Talio. Welcome, Matt. Thanks, Chris. Really appreciate being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Matt. I'd love for you to tell our listeners just a little bit more about you and also love for you to share with them also about who is Talio. Yeah, for sure. So uh, first, I'd like to just kind of give a little bit of background about how I really got into the home health, hospice, and palliative care space. So back about eight years, I was wrapping up my undergrad studies at University of Central Florida, and a family friend of mine introduced me to an entrepreneur that um, I really wanted to get some experience in the, in the entrepreneurial space to start a business one day. And so this person, his name is Craig Mandeville, and he had just started a company called Forcura. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do at the time, uh, but he said, hey, how about making some phone calls and seeing if we can bring on some customers? And he didn't have any customers at the time, but he was selling a tool to home health and hospice organizations. And so I started making phone calls and this was uncomfortable for me because at this point in time, I was a pretty shy young man and making dinner reservations over the phone was a little difficult. So you can imagine how that was uh, going out and trying to speak with uh, operators of agencies and, and learning more about their business. But fast forward about six years, I had a really great opportunity to learn and grow within an organization. Um, Craig and, and his team and, and myself, we developed this organization and built it into uh, about 100 employees after six years, uh, really growing and supporting the home health, hospice, and palliative care ecosystem. And I really developed a love for the industry. And in 2018, um, the timing was kind of right for me to spread my entrepreneurial wings and, and venture onto my own. And that's really where Talio comes in. At the time when I was leaving for Cura, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I knew that home health, hospice, palliative care really left an important imprint on me as an individual because it's such an important part of the healthcare ecosystem. And I really learned to love the industry. And so when I learned through what was going on in the industry, the challenges, one of the things that continued to come up again and again was staffing. What can we do to attract the caregivers to our space? What can we do to cultivate them, help develop them, grow them so that they want to stay in our industry and provide this important care to seniors? And so that's really where Talio came from. The passion for me to go out and help these caregivers and help these organizations retain and attract and develop and cultivate those folks really, really resonated with me. And then fast forward a few years later, whenever the pandemic happened, it exacerbated the need of importance around staffing and what we can do to support these people. Because going out in the homes and unpredictable environments and learning about you know, the challenges that these patients have and being there in some uncertainty was something that's really important for us. So for us as an organization, we're all about supporting caregivers and working with organizations, various home health, hospice, or palliative care organizations to support their caregivers so that way they can provide the best care to the patients. That's good, bad, and and so important. I mean, first off, just because the mission focus of the work, and you know that, that's why you were so attracted to it. But as you know, as we go into the silver tsunami of all the baby boomers, 
our staffing challenges are going to get even worse. And any turnover is just going to be so painful. It should be painful today, but it's going to be absolutely painful because it's going to be hard to have anyone replace. And so, well, I love the work that you and your team are doing. I'm also an admirer of your leadership letters. Is there a story behind why you started doing those? Yeah. So to give you a little bit of example about the leadership letters and, and where they came from, uh, first, it really started with a book. And Chris, you and I have talked about this with uh, the importance of mentors in our lives. And for me, one of the best mentors I could ever get is the access to a book. And I never was a bookworm growing up and things like that. But over the years, as I evolved and, and grew as a young man and into my professional career, I realized the impact of books that they can have on you. And so one book specifically I read, uh, oddly enough, named uh, Tribe of Mentors, was actually a compilation of interviews with various industry leaders, uh, people who've done amazing things in their careers, whether it's through entertainment, uh, philosophy, business. Um, and it's a really great collection of their thoughts and processes around why they do what they do. And so when I was looking at the healthcare space and what we're doing with caregivers and supporting organizations from a leadership standpoint, I felt like that would be a really good opportunity to understand what is making the leaders in our space think? What makes them tick? What are the reasons why they get up in the morning and, and why do they go out and are they trying to build these organizations to provide this really high quality care and support their staffs, staff? So with us, with the leadership letter, I wanted to go out and seek these people pick their brain, learn a little bit about what makes them tick behind the scenes, but also to what their ambitions are for their, their organizations, but also to the industry as a whole. So my objective was really you know, partially selfish to, to get those nuggets and those mentor perspectives uh, by asking questions that might be relevant to what I'm trying to go through, but also to make sure it's broad enough so that way other leaders in our space can learn from the best, learn from others, so we can all elevate what we're doing with really home care, hospice, palliative care. Because like you said, Chris, it, the silver tsunami is on its way and we can't do this alone. And if we lose people, it's, it's too important not to. And one of the things I've said many times is my goal with Talia and with these leadership letters is to help educate people and elevate leadership in our space because I want nurses to come into this space and be the, the destination in healthcare to work. And we can't afford to lose these people, not just for our agencies, but the industry. We can't afford to lose them, have them go into other areas or even leave healthcare as a whole. So that's really what our goal is and what the leadership letters are really striving around and building to, to help get that message out to as many leaders in the space as possible. That's cool. And I think it's absolutely brilliant that you did that, Matt. And now I loved, I'm so glad you just shared that because that even makes it more impressive in my mind of why you did these letters and also how important it is that people go to your website and read them. So I'd love for us now talk about the letters it looks like you started them about mid-year 2019. You've had some incredible leaders um, in these interviews, then published as a leadership letter. But you have April Anthony, Paul Cussero, Mike Counter, Donna Dublah, many people. These are many people I admire. Scott Powers, Bill Dombey with Knock, Brick Court, Adam Blumenthal, and then you and I did your uh, third quarter for 2021. So here's my question to you, Matt. As you've interviewed some pretty incredible people, um, what are some of the greatest leadership lessons, which I think that's what we'll title this um, podcast talk, is lessons in leadership. So what are the, some of the greatest lessons that you've extracted from those interviews that you'd like to pay forward? Yeah. So one of the themes, and, and in preparing for this meeting, I really wanted to reflect on those conversations. And it's such a gift to 
not only reread those, but re-experience them every time I get to reread them. And when I was looking at the different leadership letters, I was trying to pull out the themes. What were the underlying commonalities between each person that you know I could help articulate to your audience? And one of the things that really resonated with me is that every single one of these people are lifelong learners. They're always striving to improve or develop themselves in some way. And one of the questions I like to ask is, you know, what's a favorite book that you recommend or give to others? And it's funny because every time I ask that, nobody hesitates. They don't have to sit there and go, oh, man, I, I haven't read a book in a while. They have a whole treasure trove of, of quotes, of books and resources. And so these are people that are constantly sharpening their own saw. They're working on themselves so they can improve themselves because how you present yourself and how you work on yourself is going to go down across your organization. It's going to impact the people that are within your organization. And if you're not at the leadership or the CEO level, even doing that at a operating team member level, it's going to permeate among your peers. And so well, that's one of the biggest lessons that I learned is it's just continuously improving yourself and leveraging the resources that we have in abundance today, but really looking at the best resources available and continue to improve yourself so that way you can help improve others around you in your business, but also too, if you're a caregiver with your patients as well. That's really good. I love that. And it's interesting, Matt, some of the things you just touched on is uh, we actually built that into our culture at TCN. Um, I learned it from Dr. Lee Thayer, whom you and I spoke a lot about in my interview, but this concept of living life in the learning mode. In fact, Thayer used to say that growing equals learning and learning equals life. And then if you flip it, then you know what the opposite of that is, which is not, not a good place. So I love that. The other thing you touched upon, we wrote a blog about recently, which is the tone at the top that every one of us as a leader, although I love the upside down organization chart, but typically people show the organization chart kind of hierarchical, but the tone that you set will trickle down to your team for good or for ill. And so I've always felt like that paints the picture of the huge responsibility that we have as leaders. Um, We set the tone for our team for good or for ill on a day-to-day basis. And interestingly, that principle carries forward into our homes as well. It doesn't stop at at the workspace. Are there other lessons that just jump out at you? Because again, you've interviewed some incredible people. Yeah. So there's a, there's a couple other items that I figure I, I would touch on. Um, one, you know, this ties in with the type of organizations that these people run. Obviously, caregiving is a very unique profession, uh, very unique people that are in the caregiving space, especially in hospice care, palliative care. Um, it's really, really unique, the type of people that are drawn to this. And so when we look at these leaders and the type of organizations that they're influencing, one thing that continuously comes up is the topic of culture. And everybody talks about culture regardless of what type of industry you're in or what type of your business you're in. But but culture in this particular space is really, really important. And there was one theme that a lot of these leaders that I interviewed had talked about and said that is important to them. And that's integrity. And so that's operating at a level where what you say and how you treat people And whether it's your patients, your employees, and saying what you're going to do and then actually doing that and having that level of integrity, it was commonality across all these people. Because what they did is one of the things I would like to ask them is, what do you look for when you're assembling your leadership team? So if you think about this, it's asking the question, what do you look for when you want to surround yourself with people? Who are the type of people you want to be around you so that way you can make better decisions or provide the best care possible? And constantly it was talking about people of high integrity. 
saying what they're going to do and then executing and doing on that. And that was one of the things that continuously came up throughout the conversations. And it really it was a pillar of culture. So it was a piece of that ecosystem of supporting your staff and really focusing on the people, um, which kind of ties in with another point I wanted to make was focusing on the people who then focus on the care. And a lot of organizations that you know, I've, I've spoken with and they might just be looking for revenue or growth or whatnot. So it's all about patient care, patient care, patient care. But a lot of these people that I talked with and have interviewed they kept focusing on not just the patients, because obviously we know how important that is. That's the most important thing. But who's giving the care to the patients? It's, it's the staff. It's the team members. So a lot of these leaders, they specifically focus on that one layer removed from the patient and saying, what can we do to elevate our staff? What can we do to make their experiences better, support them, help, help them grow? And so that layer of culture and focusing on engaging with the staff and supporting the staff was really a commonality among the leaders, which... Obviously, that's the type of business we're in. So it's really refreshing to hear that these people are saying this is the most important thing for us to make sure that we're operating at the level we want and can provide the care that we want to the patients. Um, one other thing um, I wanted to mention uh, from the insights from the leadership letters was really how to learn from failure. Uh, I've been fascinated with this concept because you know, in life, we're constantly facing failure. We're constantly facing setbacks. I mean, even in our day-to-day -day experiences, you take away these big business uh, uh, opportunities and, you know, less in like, you know, lessons that you see people learning and just look at, oh man, I tried something today and it didn't work out. And then I get discouraged and I don't want to try it again. Those lessons there, I've learned a lot from these people because when you look at them, they seem like they're super successful. They have everything going for them. They're running big businesses but they still struggle day to day, just like all of us do with various things. But one of the big differentiators was taking a step back and re doing reflection is really, really a key trait a lot of these people had and looking at their lessons that they've gone through, their quote unquote failures or things that they've maybe didn't outcome, the outcomes weren't what they wanted it to be. But then they realize, you know what, there's opportunity to learn from it. So they can look at these failures as an opportunity to learn. And so that was another big commonality that just about everybody had was not only did they realize that they needed to learn from their failures or they did learn from their failures, but I want to emphasize the amount of reflection that they did on their failures was actually kind of the key differentiator between just the common idea of, of learning from failure. It's the reflection and really looking into it of, why didn't that work out? Or what was the decision making behind the scenes behind that failure? And how can I be better because of it tomorrow? Because um, a lot of times what we've seen, you know, both my experience and other people that I've talked to, it's like failing is tough. It, it doesn't feel good whenever you try something and you you look bad or, or whatever the case is, but it's how you respond to it. And that's one of the things that a lot of these people did is they might have faced adversity in some way, but they talk a lot about how they respond to the failure. And I think that's really where the lessons learned are, are most valuable. Man, that's just so rich, Matt. There's so many great things in what you said, but I'll start where you ended. Um, you know, John Maxwell wrote a book years ago about failing forward, which was the first time as a young man I had ever heard that concept. Because I do think that it ties back to the learning mode. You know, the knowing mode is so insidious and it's such a slippery slope. The more successful you become, the more the knowing mode becomes embedded. And the reality is the learning mode is about every day with this incredible curiosity. And the learning mode is in your failures. One of our board members when we started TCM it's pretty high up guy at Edward Jones, and he gave us such a great piece of advice, which was freeing. He said, Chris, fail and fail fast. 
And what he was teaching us is that you guys are doing something that's never been done before. You're going to make a lot of mistakes, but just learn from them and just keep building from it. And I'm sure you've heard before, you know, that Thomas and Edison quote um, that, you know, he, he didn't. He basically figured out 999 ways not to make a light bulb when he finally got to the thousandth way, which to me epitomizes just that learning mode. It's, it's something I so wish I could go in a time capsule and tell myself at the age of 25. And I think in healthcare. Because, you know, mistakes with patients and families are a pretty big deal. But in a day-to-day, on a leadership basis, trying different things, systems, processes, new ideas, innovation, it is kind of antithetical. You don't want to be experimenting on a patient. You have research and development process for that. But I think that's why it feels like a lot of people just coming into healthcare, especially if they've been kind of line level, you know, maybe a clinician, a nurse, social worker, it's so hard for them to do what you just described. But paradoxically, the most successful leaders are not that they're okay with failing, they're okay with the learning that actually failing provides. And so I love that you extrapolated that. The other thing I heard that you're talking about is culture. I think about my mentor, Quint Studer, and he said, culture eats strategy for lunch every day, all the time. And that was such a great way to put it. It just stuck in my head. And then I love that value of integrity that you talked about. Um, you know, in my experience too, Matt, that um, I've always espoused to be a person of integrity. I've met incredible people that integrity is so important to them, but we have so much to do. They don't have a great organization system, which is, yeah, I could probably spend my life's work just working on one of the tools that we teach, which is the getting things done system, because you could have great integrity, but yet things fall through the cracks because you don't have a good organization system. So I found that's a great way to almost make bulletproof your resolve to be a person of integrity. Um, but the fact that you saw that in the leader that you talked to, that's just that's just awesome. So, Matt, what final thoughts would you leave people as we're kind of getting to the end of our segment? Um, any final thoughts or just wisdom you love to pay forward? Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit, just one more thing about mentors. Um, that was one other piece that the leadership letters really focus on is every single person has – either one or a small group of people that really impacted their lives. And so when people talk about mentors, usually you think like, man, I want to find the one person that's doing what I want to be doing. And it's tough to go find and have that direct relationship. How do I cultivate that relationship? And that was something I struggled with for a long time. But one last thing is mentors don't necessarily come in that package. You have books and resources. And even, you know, Chris, you and this podcast is a form of mentorship. And I think a lot of people don't understand that right away because they're always looking for that direct relationship. And for me, I was doing the same thing. I was looking for those mentors to have that direct relationship with. And it wasn't until I realized that, man, I have access to these people through these other tools, through these podcasts, like what you're putting on, you know, through books and other resources like that. So if you're a person who's looking for that mentorship, but you're struggling to find that person, sometimes you can take a step back and realize, man, these resources are at my fingertips. I can have, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner with some of these amazing thought leaders over the course of history. Once you kind of change your frame of mind that way, you realize that mentors are everywhere. And it's really what is important to you and what you want to learn, and you can learn from them. And that's something that I've really been able to cultivate the past few years that's made a big impact for me. That's awesome, Matt. Well, I, I can't thank you enough for what the work that you're doing and also coming on our podcast and can't wait to continue to watch the your career and the great work. And I also hope we continue to find ways to partner with each other because I, like you, I'm a huge fan of leadership. 
Um, you know, John Maxwell's a, a we're mutual fans of John and his work on leadership and that great quote, everything rises and falls on leadership. So thanks, Matt. So good to have you. And in fact, that's probably a good segue. And as always, we'll leave you with our booking of our podcast. And I let Matt choose this one. And he actually chose a quote from John Maxwell. You cannot give what you do not have. Self-improvement always precedes team improvement. Here's what I know. This is coming from John Maxwell. The only way that I can keep leading is to keep growing. The day that I stop growing, somebody else takes the leadership baton. baton. That's the way it always is. John Maxwell. Thanks for listening to TCN Talks.